Right now, Brex is offering approved accounting partners the ability to offer their clients a $1,000 sign-up bonus and waived card fees for life when they sign up for a Brex corporate card. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Brex, later in the episode. Somebody would watch an in-game live feed and log the catcher's signs into the spreadsheet, as well as the type of pitch that was actually thrown. With that information, Codebreaker determined how the signs corresponded with different pitches. Once decoded, that information would be communicated through intermediaries to a base runner who would then relay them to the hitter. I love this. I'm smiling so much right now. And the reason why is obviously you paid attention. The Iowa caucus was Tuesday night. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Edgewood Business Solutions. Are you a CPA looking to lighten your load this tax season? Are your firm's bookkeeping services in demand, but your team doesn't have the capacity to take on more work? Are you looking to grow your practice now and beyond tax day? Edgewood Business Solutions is here to help. For over nine years, Edgewood has been specializing in remote white label bookkeeping and collaborative services for California-based CPA firms. Edgewood's team of professionals can assist with ongoing, temporary, or project-based services. Learn more how Edgewood Business Solutions can help you increase your profitability and business growth while saving you those pesky overhead costs. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Edgewood. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash E-D-G-E-W-O-O-D. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. If you're focused on niche clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, BQE is the app for them. And BQE Succeed is the conference for you to best connect with companies in those niches. BQE Succeed is happening from May 31st to June 3rd, 2020 at the Encore at Wynn Las Vegas. And listeners can get $200 off registration by using code CAP2020. The Cloud Accounting Podcast will be there. Will you? Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash BQE Succeed. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-Q-E-S-U-C-C-E-E-D. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Another week, Blake. Another week. The Ralph's across from me closed, David, our local grocery store. Because of Whole Foods? Costco? Apparently the rent, the rent is too damn high. That's what the employees were saying, that there was a rent dispute. Apparently, the rent on that grocery store is $200,000 a month. The owner, the landlord, wanted to raise it $50,000. Uh, so, Ralph said, no thanks. And the the rumor on Nextdoor and all these neighborhood apps is that we're going to get an Amazon store. Wow. So, it is Amazon then. Yeah. So well, it'll be it'll either be them or Netflix or Facebook or Google <laughs> or Apple, right? One, one of those five. Uh, I think I saw something this week that those five companies account for like over fifteen percent of the entire value of like the tech value of all tech companies now, or some ridiculous thing. Those it's, five companies, it, it's nuts. I mean, if an Amazon store does open, it'll be a grocery store, and I'm sure they'll have other things there too. The thing that's really crazy about Amazon stores is there are no cashiers. They've completely this is what I hear, automated the checkout process. So you go in, you scan a barcode on your phone that identifies you by your Amazon account. You have to have an Amazon account to shop there. Then you go through the store and you pick up your items and a combination of cameras and barcodes help Amazon know exactly what's in your cart and what you've got. I mean, you could put it in your pocket, Amazon will know. And then you just walk out of the store when you're done and it bills it to your Amazon account, just like you shopped online. Now, have you been to one of those stores? No, no. I've I've heard about them and I've seen like walkthroughs and videos of them in Seattle. 
Uh, we should take a trip. It's a business expense. <laughs> I mean, if one opens, then I'll definitely, you know, I'll have to do like a live video or something. Try, try, <laughs> maybe in New York City. I don't know. I don't know. If there's but one there. I was trying to do the math in my head on, uh, you know, well, if Ralph thinks they can't afford the $50,000 more per month in rent, maybe Amazon doesn't care because, you know, what is $50,000 times 12 is $600,000. Maybe they save that much in salaries. If they don't need 10 people working at the store, I have no idea what the average salary is of a grocery store worker, but let's say it's $60,000 here in LA, then they can absorb that extra rent cost through automation. Well, plus just the, the I'm sure Amazon's much better at tracking you and what your purchasing habits are than Ralph's probably was. Oh, yeah, and they can so, use that data yeah, for to make more money. Yeah. So anyway, what, what's new with you, David? Nothing new with me personally, uh, just chugging along. Um, but I do have like 45 browser tabs today, so we should get into the news here. I <laughs> Let, think. Let's get to your top story. Your top story. So I'll read the headline. Fire damages wall at accounting office. Well, where is this uh, headline? <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is this the, uh, you know, the Tucson uh, weekly no, news? No, this wasn't in Tucson. This is from the Sawyer County record. Sawyer County. Where is that? Uh, I, actually, to be honest, I don't know. I read the article three times. <laughs> All right. So, um, a structure fired Anderson Hager and Moe CPA building on Windmill Square on Highway 27 in Hayward, Saturday, February 1st, caused small amount of damage to the building. So, essentially, a wall caught on fire. But the good news is, in a Facebook post, they thanked the Hayward Fire and Police Department for their excellent response time and professionalism. They said the fire was very con- very contained. And they said that they added that the company, it's now February 3rd, and all files and computers were not damaged. They're ready for the tax season. All right. So, so any of you who had thought you had a bad start to your tax season, at least you didn't have a wall. Well, fire. what caused the fire? Was it uh, an on-premise server? It's undetermined. I got a story, a follow-up to the whole discussion around cashless stores that we've been having last year in particular. Like Amazon. Yeah, cash, yeah, exactly. Like Amazon. Maybe this will affect Amazon stores. New York City last month, a couple weeks ago, banned cashless stores throughout the city. City Council approved legislation that prohibits stores, restaurants, and other retail outlets from refusing to accept hard currency. And they joined New Jersey, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, and some other cities are considering similar moves. Massachusetts, apparently, I did not know this, has had a law requiring all retailers to accept cash and credit since 1978. But yeah, it's, it's uh, burdensome for cashless stores because the whole point of not accepting cash is you don't have to have multiple employees monitoring the cash. You don't have to worry about your employees getting held up at gunpoint, all that all that stuff. And you know, now businesses have to bear that burden. Well, the loophole is just going to be like Amazon. You have to be a prime member. It's a membership thing and they just bypass the whole thing. Well, so the exception in New York is that if you have a machine that will allow people to convert their cash into a card and then they can use that, then you're exempt. So maybe there's a business here. Somebody should start this is really affordable ATM machines that'll just convert cash into like debit cards or- Well, those exist. If you, I'm sure Ralph's had one. You take your coins, right? And you dump it in and it gives you that little gift card and code and you take it up with the cash register and you pay for your groceries with it. So, so this, this, those, those exist. Like, so don't start that as a business. Like, somebody already has that market. It's done. And, and do you know that th- those guys all sort of the red box guys? The red box guys? That's the same guys. Yeah. Oh, the, well, it makes sense. They have expertise building those machines, right? Huh. Yeah. Well, but maybe like little ones that go on the counter, right? Like next to the square, square point of sale. Maybe square should build one. Little, little miniature ones. Anyway. Uh, what else? Oh, 
Baseball. David, are you a baseball fan? No, but I know it exists and I heard there was some cheating recently. Living in LA, it's hard to escape this. Apparently, the Houston Astros were cheating during the World Series and for a long time before that and uh, they were they were stealing signs, right? Oh, the, and they, were, they were cheating against the Dodgers, right? Against the Dodgers, yeah, yeah. That's why that's why it's on the, that's why you it's in your news. Yeah, got it. And I'm not much of a baseball guy, but I do know that we have one of the best pitchers in the league and why were the Houston Astros hitters so good at hitting the balls he was throwing because they freaking knew what was coming because the Astros were stealing signs. And the reason I bring this up is because an article in the Wall Street Journal detailed recently how they used Microsoft Excel as their code breaking app. And they literally called it Codebreaker. It was a spreadsheet. And get this, it was created by an intern. It was an Excel-based application programmed with an algorithm that could decode the opposing catcher's signs. And it was called Codebreaker. The way it worked was simple. Somebody would watch an in-game live feed and log the catcher's signs into the spreadsheet, as well as the type of pitch that was actually thrown. With that information, Codebreaker determined how the signs corresponded with different pitches. Once decoded, that information would be communicated through intermediaries to a base runner who would then relay them to the hitter. I love this. I'm smiling so much right now. And the reason why is obviously you paid attention. The Iowa caucus was Tuesday night or Monday yeah, the, night. The, the disastrous Iowa caucuses. And the whole time I'm thinking, why didn't they just track this in a Google sheet or an Airtable or Microsoft Excel? I was thinking the same thing. They could have set up a Google form. Everybody just goes to this URL, enters their email address to identify themselves as who, you know, whoever's in charge of that caucus, that particular one, and just fills out a form with the vote totals. It's, it's insane, right? And, and so the lesson here for our listeners in your space- Wait, before we get to the lesson, let's talk about this because I don't think people know just how dumb it is, right? Like, so there was an app involved, right, David? Yeah, they paid to have a custom built app. They paid $60,000 to have somebody build an app. And the app had one job. All it did was, as far as I can tell, all it did was uh, let you input your vote totals and report them, right? So it's basically just a form with a spreadsheet. Yeah. And somehow they, probably they under screwed the cover, that up. The, yeah, behind the, under the covers, it probably is just a spreadsheet. <laughs> They're dumping this to a CSV file somewhere. And I mean, we can go off and on about like the ability to install the app and all this other stuff. But the real lesson here is like, if you can do something with Excel... Don't build something else. It's just solved already. And then the other part, the second part I thought that ties back to our industry is like, how come we always see like the big four and it's the Academy Awards are coming up this weekend, right? The big four, somebody EY, somebody's going to be there with their metal suitcases and their handcuffs on. We counted the votes. How come they're never around for like real vote counting? The exposure would be just as good. Because the only reason they do it for the Academy Awards is because they want to hang out with celebrities. Oh, the the Democratic Party doesn't want to pay some, you know, like three Ernst and Young partners five hundred dollars an hour to sit around tabulating uh, votes. That's true. I, I'm sure the in Iowa, if if somebody a big four was to quote them uh, and build that app for them, right? It would work, maybe, possibly, maybe not, but it would probably cost six hundred thousand dollars and not sixty thousand. So I have I have a story kind of related to this. So that when I was in college, we had a ski club, Northwestern University. And it's a big ski club. It's like a huge thing. Like a huge percentage of the students go skiing every winter break and the ski club organizes it and decides where to go and books like an entire resort pretty it's much. It's a big party. A good chunk of it. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> it's party. Skiing. We don't have spring break. We do the winter break thing, right? So the way they organized this was brilliant. 
for for the room reservations and the grouping, right, to sign up for it, it could be really complicated because you could sign up by yourself, but then you'd you'd be rooming with people you don't know, right? So you want to go with people you know because there's like hundreds of, of kids going on this trip. So you get your group together and then the way that you make your reservation was just you go into a Google Sheet that was public. It was a, a Google Sheet that was public to the university. So if you had an email at the university, you could use it. And you just go in and make your changes and, and put in like what your group was and all this stuff. And they simply had a rule when they sent this out. They said, we're going to look at the audit trail. And if anyone screws around with anybody else's reservation in the sheet, you're out. Like So if there's any funny business, we're going to know because we're going to look at the audit trail. And nobody, they never had any issues because everybody knew if I mess with this spreadsheet, they're going to find out and I'm going to lose my spot. It doesn't have to be complicated. They could have just done that at the caucus. They could have just given every everyone. I, I thought about that <laughs> right? too. Like, like, just make the whole thing public. Like everybody, they, they, yeah. then then it would be hundred percent visible. Like there'd be no. This is what I like about like Firefox and open source code, right? Yeah, they could have just actually made this spreadsheet public to the whole world. The only people who could edit it would be the, you know, the heads of each caucus, right? The people responsible for reporting for that that group. Like, why would that be a problem? You could look at the audit trail and see if anyone changed any numbers that they weren't responsible for. Uh, you know, hey, I know maybe they should have used blockchain. That would have been great. <laughs> they could have hired this this kid, the intern from uh, yeah from the Houston Astros. I know, isn't it great though that an intern wrote that spreadsheet? I feel like this will be a movie someday, and it's going to be like Moneyball, but like the bad guy version of Moneyball. Most well, Moneyball, I'm sure, it was all on Excel as well. Yeah, well, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they weren't downloading an app for that. Well, <laughs> should we get? Yeah, what, what's next? Should we just run through like a lot of app news? I mean, yeah. there's a ton. Let's do it. So Sage, they're relaunching their marketplace. So they uh, built a new marketplace on the AppDirect platform. It's going to get Sage Marketplace gives more than 2 million Sage customers access to hundreds of trusted apps. They're all tested and verified by Sage. So which which GL is this though? Like the all of it them? It seems like it's kind of all of them. Okay. Yeah. So whatever Sage system I'm on, I can go find apps that work with it. That's what it looks like. Oh, yeah. cool. Uh, what else is new? Gusto sent me an email telling me that Gusto Cash Out is now free. We've talked about this. Cash Out is the service they have now for employees where employees can cash out their earnings in advance of their paycheck. So it's like a payday loan, but it's totally free. But not really like a payday loan. It's like what small businesses used to always do for employees. Like they would give an employee a payday in advance and then deduct it out of the paycheck. Right. Yeah. So Gusto is what I love about it is that an employee, instead of having to go to the business owner and, you know, kind of like it's a little bit humiliating potentially. uh, And it's also annoying for the business owner to have to keep track of this. They can just go into Gusto and Gusto will let them take, I think it's up to a thousand dollars per paycheck. And then as soon as their paycheck actually is issued, it is deducted. And and it used to cost a fee and now they've made it uh, free. I do love the what I, what I love about this, like from an innovation standpoint, is I remember way back in the days to do tech support for QuickBooks Payroll, right? And customers would just small businesses had a hard time wrapping their head around this because you'd have to basically create a pair of payroll items, yep. one to give the loan, one to deduct the loan. They'd have to go out to a wash account, right, and so you could track what each employee is doing, and then you have to create a custom report with different targets so they could actually see how much is left on the loan they gave the employee, and. And it's just a lot of burden yeah. to do, and it's 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 very mistake prone. So if they can take this off the small business owners' back, I think it's really cool that the uh, it's it's really smart, well thought out um, feature. Well, and then God help them if they accidentally made one of those items taxable, they didn't do it right. Yep. So 
Yeah, it's, it's much easier. Uh, I got another one. Are you familiar with Acumatica? Yeah, they're uh, they play in the space like Sage Intact, like and they're in that space. And I think actually they were acquired by Private Equity recently. They're a cloud ERP system, and they specialize in manufacturing, a lot of manufacturing on Acumatica, and they release a new payroll module. So it allows controllers or accountants to run their own in-house payroll. You can do salaried and hourly workers, integrated taxes and tax forms, deductions and benefits, certified wages, union wages, time card integration with overtime rules, and flexible payroll periods. And they also have updated their manufacturing edition, which makes sense given the emphasis on manufacturing. Something that really was interesting to me that they announced also were new integrations, including Smartsheet. What is Smartsheet? Smartsheet. It's like, uh, I thought you would know this one, David. Oh, 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 I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, Smartsheet. Yeah, the, comp, the app, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess I thought they were creating their own thing and they, that was their branding. I got it. Sorry. Yeah, no. So this is the uh, like original, I mean, Smartsheet's been around forever, right? They're like the super powered spreadsheet app where you can yep. build your own like really crazy database, essentially custom uh, that looks like a spreadsheet. You know, it does a lot of other stuff. And so now you can integrate Acumatica and Smartsheet to, I guess, you know, update stuff, like give access to update stuff outside of Acumatica and then sync it in and stuff like that. So well, that makes sense because I think Smartsheet, like their sweet spot is CFOs and finance departments. Like that's really who loves, mm-hmm. who really utilizes it a lot. They, they even use it to manage their workflows. They manage data and create reports. Yep. And so that, that would make sense that if uh, an ERP that's at that level, if they were going to pick an app to integrate with, it would be Smartsheet. Yep. Also integrations with big commerce for e-commerce, Adobe. You can work with Adobe Docs inside of Acumatica now. And they also announced an alliance with BDO. So BDO is going to provide advisory and consultation services in addition to the Acumatica resellers that already do the integration and selling. Ready to jump in? Yeah. I mean, you got any uh, more app news? KPMG uh, bought a stake in Lumatax. It's in that same... Uh group with uh, TaxJar or Avalara, Lumatax is attacking it a little bit differently. They're really trying to attack it almost like from a bank feeds perspective. Like you connect it to all your stuff, your, your e-seller uh, shopping carts, et cetera, and it just goes, pulls the data in mm-hmm. and then works backward to create your sales tax liabilities so you can pay them. Um, that, that's the gist of it, obviously. I mean, it's probably more complicated than that. But uh, KPMG uh, invested in them and bought a stake of it. Visor, Visor Tax. We haven't talked about them in a while. Really, I mean, it might have been over the summer that we talked about them. No, in the fall, right? I, I think we did talk about them in the summer because I think sometime midsummer, people were finding out they got audited and, and they can't get a hold of anybody at Visor Tax. I think we talked about them once midsummer, but essentially we did talk about them a lot last April because it was tax deadline date and they weren't filing people's taxes. Yeah. So Visor, for those who aren't in the know, is one of those hot, uh, or at least they were hot you know, tax, modern tax startup, tax with an app, you pay $100, you take a picture of your forms and they do your taxes. Well, it didn't quite work out. And a lot of people apparently never got their taxes filed or it was late or just massive issues. Kind of makes sense given that it's really hard to imagine anyone making money um, on doing taxes for 100 bucks. Well, it looks like the owner's advisor have pivoted to something new. It's called Get Grid. And you can check it out at getgrid.app. It is apparently a service where you enter how much you make, you enter your paycheck details, how much you make and your withholding and some other information. 
And then it tells you whether or not you are eligible for a quote-unquote pay boost, which is the extra money that you could be getting out of your paycheck that is normally withheld. And then you can choose how much extra you want to receive every pay period. And PayBoost will work with the payroll provider to adjust your withholding so you get that extra money. So it's basically like doing a W-4 for you, I think. Every, every single paycheck or every week or adjusting it real time based on... Based on, well, you have to go in the app and update things, I guess. But uh, I don't know if it like syncs with your payroll. I don't think it does. I think you just do this once and then it... It's not clear to me. So this has been done before. You know that, right? It's already been done. Um, Intuit purchased a company uh-huh. years ago called Good April. It was like two guys at the startup, and that was the whole play. Like we're going to help adjust your taxes during the year, right? Through your W four, essentially, so that way you have a good April when you do your tax oh. return. And Intuit purchased it, and I don't know what happened to it. Like, I don't know if it was going to be a feature or a tool for TurboTax, but it makes sense. Like, the payroll company should do this. Like, we just talked about Gusto. Like, if you have employee-facing portal for your payroll app and you have employee-facing portal, you could just have a tool like this. Well, right. And, and some part of me feels like I've seen a ADP talk about something like this for, like, their portal login. Just just like they have wizards to help you maximize mm-hmm. your um, 401k um, contributions. Like, the same type of wizard. I, I, I've seen it. Yeah. This is not this is not a new product. Now they're marketing in a very interesting um, way with this like pay boost concept, which kind of goes after like those people that either want to be paid early or payday loan. Like they're right. So the target market they're going at. And that's what that's the part that I find a little confusing is that they say here that the average family, a family that makes thirty thousand dollars per year, gets an average tax refund of three thousand dollars. That's an extra two hundred fifty a month that the government holds on to. And you could get that by using PayBoost. And you pay a dollar per paycheck to access that you know, $250 a month. But you could just do this yourself by using the IRS calculator <laughs> to change your own withholding. You could just choose to have less withheld. Right? By, uh, and we've talked about this before, though. I mean, the even with the survey about people, their confidence doing their own taxes, right? And people, in a way... Even though logically it's completely illogical, right? Like I'm going to give the government a loan, but for a lot of people in a weird way, that's the only savings, the way they save anything. And then they get that check once a year, right? (laughs) But you're right. Like if somebody wants to do this, they could just do this automatically. So um, speaking of people that have made some mistakes over the past year. So do you remember about nine months ago, we talked about how um, Etsy screwed up and they were the way they were posting um, the fees, the seller fees for each Mm -hmm. sale was posting incorrectly to the bank accounts and then it was trickling from there into the accounting software packages incorrectly. Yeah, there was some big mess up. Yeah. So apparently nine months later, it's still not fixed. You know, there's these people that don't reconcile all year, right? And then they show up to an accountant or a bookkeeper. Right. So if you're an accountant or bookkeeper and you have an Etsy seller and you have not heard about this problem, you better be very careful when you're reconciling and uh, doing their books and their taxes this year because they probably have this issue and it's been happening every single week. And if they're not manually correcting it, it's there. They have a big mess. So the Facebook and the IRS are going to war, David. War? Maybe it's not that dramatic, but they're going to court anyway. So Facebook and and the IRS have this disagreement that has been going on for years, apparently. A trial is scheduled to start this week, this coming week in tax court. 
It's been going on for nine years, and it's a dispute over how Facebook's transfer of profits to the Irish to an Irish subsidiary worked. This is a very common thing that U.S. multinationals do, where they will license their IP to a foreign subsidiary, or they'll sell their IP to a foreign subsidiary and then license it back. I thought Trump fixed this like three years ago, and everybody was bringing that money back in. Apple brought the money back. Everybody brought the money back. Well, this is this is from before 2017. Oh, okay, okay. So a, a, anything before 2017, right, was subject to a 35% tax rate at that time. So this is what the argument is about, is did Facebook pay the right amount of tax in those nine years or something uh, that it was operating before the new tax law? And it all hinges around, it's coming back, David, intangible assets the valuation of intangible assets. (laughs) So when it filed its tax returns, Facebook put a $7 billion value on the intangible assets in question. So the the value of these intangible assets has a correlation to the royalties paid to the US parent by the Irish subsidiary. So Facebook had an incentive when it valued those assets originally to to go low, right? Because then the royalties would be lower and there'd be less income coming to the United States. Less revenue, less profit, and more of it would stay in Ireland, where they had, you know, I don't know what it is. It's like ten percent tax rate, something really low, right? And so, Facebook put a seven billion dollar value on the intangible assets, and now it's actually saying that it should be even lower, and it should get a refund. Well, the IRS is saying that those assets are fourteen billion dollars, but it could be as high as twenty one billion. So apparently, we have a range of anywhere from $7 billion to $21 billion because nobody can figure out how to value these intangible assets that are critical to calculating Facebook's tax liability. <laughs> We've been talking about intangible assets when it comes to GAAP and FASB and uh, goodwill accounting, right? It's a problem there. It's also a problem in tax because it's really hard to value intangible assets. So I think one of the arguments is that we should just dump this whole way of, of allocating revenue and just say that multinational corporations should just tally up uh, how much revenue they earn in each country in the world and then just allocate the profit that way. It kind of makes sense. If you earn 20% of your revenue in Ireland, then you know 20% of your profit should be there. I, I think I heard a podcast this week that had that, that argument about it, figuring out how to divvy that up across the board. Rather than trying to you know do an individual like P&L and all this transfer pricing stuff. And I mean, the only, the only people who benefit <laughs> from this situation are well, the big four accountants who figure out how to do these schemes and valuations and save a bunch of money for corporations. But then I guess the shareholders also. But I find it really unfair to small businesses that don't have armies of accountants and lawyers to set up these complicated tax schemes, right? If you're just a small business here in the US and, and you operate here, you have no choice but to pay the US tax rate. You can't get around it. So I, I think it's a question of, of fairness. That's that's my That's my opinion. For what it's worth. Make sure you go out and vote. You got to vote. That's that's the way to solve this. But nobody's talking about this stuff. No no politician is talking about international transfer pricing. <laughs> Bernie Sanders kind of, I guess. But yeah, it's hard to say. No, no. no. He just wants to give everyone free health care and uh, what? Eliminate uh, college tuition, right? That's his no, platform. And, and all the all the dirty stuff. Which companies do. He wants to stop all that as well. Uh, oh, yeah, right. So yeah. Should we move on? Should we stay in a cor- <laughs> uh, court-related stories? Introduce your clients to Brex. Brex is a corporate card unlike any others. It offers instant approval, no personal guarantee from the business owner, advanced fraud protection, the ability to issue additional and physical cards as needed, and a 360-degree view of all spending activity. 
Brex has all the features that business owners love. Brex has also built all the features that accountants and bookkeepers love as well, like instant receipt capture and matching, intelligent categorization, smart category management, and automatic reconciliation, smart admin tools to easily enforce policy controls, issue and shut down cards as needed, granular reporting, and deep integrations with QuickBooks, NetSuite, Expensify, and Xero. To learn more about Brex, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Brex. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-R-E-X. Brex is the corporate card making accountants' lives better. Legal, yeah, let's do it. Legal, okay. So, remember uh, my payroll HR? Oh, how could I forget? Story keeps on giving. So, Pioneer Bank. So that was Michael Mann's bank and his company, my payroll HR, and his twenty-seven subsidiaries or whatever. They were the bank where he did all his money transfers at, and he was doing all his kiting at. So, Pioneer Bank is sued over its actions ahead of the my payroll collapse. So, Berkshire and Shimoon Banks they've lost millions, and they're basically saying it's because Pioneer didn't disclose the fraudulent activity properly. Two months after the My Payroll began to collapse in August 2019, Pioneer disclosed to Berkshire that there would be 35 overdrafts by the borrower, totaling 121.8 million from January to August 2019. And this, so this was happening way before the collapse. How did this not get caught sooner? Well, do you remember Pioneer was like right around the collapse? Pioneer said they were due to have an IPO, mm-hmm. right? So I imagine like. Somebody tried to hide this and maybe not hide it, but you know, hope it went away, possibly. Well, well, here's a clue. Pioneer Bank Vice President David Blessing had been a friend of Mann since graduate school. And he brought Mann and ValueWise to Pioneer when he joined the bank 10 years ago and served as their relationship manager with the bank. And he's the guy who reached out to Berkshire about buying into this line of credit, which is why Berkshire is suing Pioneer. Yeah, yeah. He they, they, he encouraged them to to buy in, and then remember they're in the same building, they're the same office plaza or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and initially we thought that we we're like, that's interesting, like you know that they just happen to be in the same plaza, and maybe there is more connections to each other than we we once thought. I don't I don't know what went through Berkshire's side of the before they invested, but like Michael Mann had thirty seven deposit accounts under his name at Pioneer. It's messy. Either it wasn't disclosed or. Berkshire and this other bank, Shimung, did not do their own due diligence. Yeah, maybe they relied on personal relationships and didn't really look into it and and nobody told them. So, you want to talk about the threats to CPA licensure, David? Yes, I saw that article. Yeah. So, this is in Accounting Today. AICPA President and CEO Barry Melanson gave a speech at the meeting of the Accountants Club of America in New York. I've never heard of the Accountants Club of America before. I have to be honest about that. Sounds pretty cool to me. Uh, We're not invited. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess not. Uh, I'm I'm picturing you know wood paneled. Uh, uh, you don't have to picture. That's in the picture. Oh, is it in the picture? Yeah, it's it's like the. I'm I'm thinking the Explorers Club, elephant head on the wall, and the giant fireplace. Right, that's what I'm picturing. So. Barry Melanson gave a speech at the meeting of the Accountants Club of America in New York, and Accounting Today covered it. And he covered a lot of issues, a lot of things that are really important in the profession. But one thing that got a ton of coverage and it seems to have gotten the greatest emphasis was threats to the profession from deregulation efforts. So, Melanson, when he talks about deregulation efforts, he's talking about 
efforts at the state level to reduce licensure requirements for lots and lots of different jobs. A lot of professions because – and we've talked about this before. You know, If you, you want to put braids in somebody's hair, you have to get a hairstylist license that you probably don't need to because you're not actually cutting hair. Right. In, in some states, it's pretty burdensome, right? So, I'll just read this part of his speech. There's a lot of action in the states. There are major forces at work and lots of big money to unwind in the states the basic licensing regime that exists in this country. It's not just targeted to CPAs, but it's targeted to all licensing. Now, that doesn't mean it's manifested itself in every state, but it's manifested itself with attempts in probably about 35 states over the last four years. We actually lead a coalition today and we've brought together the learned professions. There are forces both on the conservative and the liberal sides that would like to see state licensing regimes unwound for different reasons, but with the same objective. The liberal side argues that the licensing regime is just a big conspiracy to deny access to certain types of jobs to underprivileged people. They'll use as a sort of poster child for that certain trades, as opposed to professions like hairdressers and things of that nature. And then he mentions uh, Arizona as a, a state that passed a bill, one of the houses in your legislature passed a bill saying that anyone could do anything, didn't have to have a license as long as the person who you're providing the service to signed something in writing saying they understood you weren't licensed. Does that make sense, David? So like if- That would make perfect sense. I went to a roller skating rink the other day and very clear sign the door said they didn't have insurance. They can do that in Arizona? Well, it, it, <laughs> I mean, even doctors who don't carry, um, there's doctors that don't carry uh, malpractice insurance and basically they can charge lower rates and- because nobody's ever going to sue them. Because that's all that's for is being sued. If, if you know they don't have insurance, you're not going to try and sue them. They're not, they don't have anything. So, so Arizona is one of those states that he mentioned. I guess there was uh, some movement in Florida on this. But here, here's what I don't like about this. I think it's a red herring. Because I asked NASBA for their spreadsheet. Na- NASBA and the AICPA work together on this you know, threat to the CPA licensure. And uh, they keep track of it. And so, I said, okay, well... I emailed uh, the person who's in charge of this over at the NASBA, and I, I can't remember who it was. I said, would you mind sending me the information you have on all of these threats? Because I hear, oh, there's threats in 35 states to the CPA license. People want to deregulate us. I got the spreadsheet, and I looked through it. And I'm sorry, but like these are not serious threats. Either it's legislation by a fringe group that never got out of committee. Most of it never gets out of committee. Or it's not really targeting the CPA license. It's just targeting what we were talking about, licensure for stuff that we wouldn't even call necessarily a profession, braiding hair, a variety of other kinds of work that's not what we would call, you know, white collar work or professional work. And so like this to me is just a way to distract. It's a distraction. I'm not going to put intent on this, but it's a distraction from the actual threat to the profession, which is irrelevance, which is that we just aren't keeping up and maybe people won't even need CPAs. It doesn't matter if if we have the license. Well, it's what we talked about the last couple of weeks, right? Like, what's the value? Like, people do not think a CPA is valuable. Like, like from a cons- – like, the free market themselves don't care. Well – Like, uh, what value is a CPA bringing? Now, the, obviously, the, you bring actually, a CPA and people that have it in the organization, they're going to protect that. But – like let the free market decide. Let people a bunch of people say they're accountants and then let the free market decide if they're gonna give their money to people that have the CPA or somebody who just says they're an accountant. Yeah, well, and that's the situation for some designations, uh, such as the CMA, certified management accountant, right? There's there's nothing that you can do as a CMA that you can't do as a non-CMA. 
It's a certification, not a license. And also the CFA, the Certified Financial or CFP, I can't remember, but those ones, there's no franchise, right? So CPAs, we can sign audit reports if we have that on our license. I mean, but that's pretty much it. Like, that's the thing I don't understand about this too. It's like, you don't actually need a CPA license to do much of anything these days. And in most states, you can be an accountant. You don't have to call yourself a CPA. So, why are we talking about this? Well, I mean, that's their job, right? The AICPA's job is to protect the profession, correct? Yeah. That's one of their jobs for sure, protect and advance it. I think there are other things that we could be doing with our uh, with our money that we pay to the AICPA than you know defending against licensure threats that are not realistic or that don't really affect CPA licensure. But, but just the way that was phrased and written or the way it was said, his quote, it's good politics. He's going to get his base all who doesn't know better that are all that, that have been a CPA for centuries and they're just like no you can't do this and they're going to donate more money to the ACPA they're going to support this like it, this is to fire up the base like this, this is a voting game this is a political play now i have to give him credit for acknowledging a big problem which is that hiring of accounting graduates over the last 4 years at public accounting firms is down 31% I mean, you could look at that as not as many accounting graduates are getting hired in accounting firms, or you could look at it as accounting firms are just hiring more non-accountants, non-CPAs. And I think that really is a threat actually to CPA firms because as Melanson says, if you have firms that are not 50% owned by CPAs, at least 50% owned by CPAs, then people are going to start asking, well, you know, why, why do we need CPAs to do our audits if most of the people on the audit team are not CPAs these days? Uh, and that's a really legit question. There is that CPA evolution. Let's just be honest. People aren't going to start asking that. They're already asking that. Like it's not something that's going to happen in the future it, once, once the, the ratios change at firms. People are already asking that. Like what's the point? I mean, arguing what's the point of the audit to begin with? People are arguing that. Right? This is already happening. What else we got? We'll, we'll get complaint emails for that. They can send them to you on, the, on that one. I, I okay. can see it already. <laughs> send them to me. That's my beat. Just, uh, just in case. Uh, what did we, let's see, flip around here. Um, Want to talk QuickBooks Live? We could jump over to that maybe. Yeah. What is, what's new with QuickBooks Live? So there's a Facebook post that I uh, saw this week and um, it looks like it's a screenshot of an email from the communications team at Intuit regarding QuickBooks Live. So the looks like what they're doing is they are going to identify pro advisors through QuickBooks Online Advanced. So if you're you're using QuickBooks Online Advanced, Blake, and you're a sole practitioner, if that's the word, you might see an ad that says, Hey, would you like to do some QuickBooks live work? Did you mean advanced or accountant? Accountant. Did I say advanced? Yeah. I'm sorry. It's confusing because it's both QBOA, uh, yes. right? <laughs> Yeah. So, so advanced Quick QuickBooks Online accountant is accountant. The, the accountant version of QuickBooks yes, Online. Yes, the accountant version. So, okay. so, if, so if you're in there and you're a sole practitioner, like basically you don't have any other bookkeepers working for you, they'll know that. Knock on wood, right? They're going to know that, and they're going to uh, really target you with, "Hey, do you want to take on some QuickBooks Live work?" But they're also aware that you know pro advisors that have firms and have multiple bookkeepers all in the QBOA, if that messaging shows up, that looks like Intuit's trying to poach those employees. And so so they're kind of giving a heads up and that they're going to try not to expose this to the wrong buckets of people, right? But But we we saw this before, right? Intuit was saying that they weren't going to message QuickBooks Live to clients of pro-advisors. And they were going to somehow know that 
if 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 somebody if a if an end user was connected to a pro advisor in QuickBooks online, if they had them on the account as a as a, an accountant, then they wouldn't get the messaging about hey, sign up for QuickBooks Live and get your bookkeeping done by a live bookkeeper. But then it happened anyway. Yeah, and then that, that's because either mistakes or bugs or you know, I'm not bugs, but just not good testing, right? That didn't go on, and and it's probably going to happen again. And that's what everybody's focus is, right? And if you read like these chains about this, but if you step back and really read what this is, what this is telling me, the demand for QuickBooks Live is so large that Intuit cannot hire fast enough that they're now taking these next steps to try to get more QB Live bookkeepers in there. That's possible. It, it also just makes a lot of sense that they would be trying to recruit current pro advisors who are working for themselves because those are people who you don't have to train. They already know how to use QuickBooks. It's like simple onboarding. It's exactly the people they want working for them. And and, and actually the messaging could make sense as well because if they do the targeting right, right? Because you, if somebody has, they're a sole practitioner and they have 200 clients, they're not going to have time for QuickBooks Live. But if they have four clients, they probably need work. It might make sense to target them, and they could, they could see that through QuickBooks Online um, accountant version. So people are very like obviously upset about this because they think QuickBooks is just coming for their their business, right? But it's also I think a sign of the times a little bit. It is true though. There's it's a legit concern that now Intuit is competing with me as an accountant uh, for bookkeepers. I'm going to have to offer at least what Intuit's offering in order to get a pro advisor to work for me. So there, there's that. That's that's what's going on. Yeah, uh, it's happening, right? But at the same time, like Intuit's getting competition from another side. So Bank of America has their Business Advantage 360 that about a million small businesses have used now. That's now tying into other apps. So it's going to now tie into QuickBooks. It's going to tie into Google Apps. It's going to pull data. So the banks are trying to keep everybody inside of the software. Right. They don't want people using other software packages. So in a way, like Intuit's got a, they have new competition they've never had before. There's more people doing the GLs and Intuit's changing their business model. It's very obvious they are going to head towards becoming kind of an accounting firm, right? Services. We talk about this. Software and services. Software yep. and service, right? Um, yeah, and it's not it's, just- It's more being a platform, right? They're connecting those pro advisors with those b- clients who want bookkeeping done. And Intuit's in the middle and they they earn a profit by doing that, right? They, they, they create value. We talked about Square, right? Had that blog post from the engineer talking about how Square has a GL tool they're using in-house, blah, blah, blah. Well, have you ever heard of WePay? Yeah, that's the one that's big in China, right? No, I think that's different. That's WePay Uh, or something. So WePay is a payments company that was Chase Bank bought them about a year ago. Well, their engineer wrote this big old blog post about balancing the books at scale. And it's just very similar in a way to the Square Post talking about double entry accounting and how they move money. And they're building these microservices to post these transactions to Chase's bookkeeping. Now, it's not a lot of it's internal type stuff, but like engineers at banks are bragging about how they're building GLs. Like we are in a whole new world. Like, and we've talked about this before. There's banks buying GLs. There's banks building GLs. Mm-hmm. Right? Tech companies are trying to become banks. It's all getting very gray. And Intuit's trying to differentiate because if, if you go to a Bank of America website and there's a GL and your, your payments and everything else is there, but a human's not there to help you do your books, Intuit has a differentiating factor, right? So this is just the market's getting very messy right now for everybody. And it's not just accounting. So I have two other articles that are kind of related, right? Mm-hmm. United Airlines bought a flight training school because they need 10,000 more pilots and they can't, the free market's not training them fast enough. So they bought their own training academy to just 
train their own pilots. Classic vertical vertical integration. It's a, it's the same it's the <laughs> same game. Uh, KPMG Spark relaunched. So remember really? they, they yeah. launched, they killed it. It looks like it's launched now in the US. Very similar model. You know, you're getting books in a person. You know, it's it's that same model everybody's kind of running right now. So yeah, KPMG Spark, the uh, fixed rate on demand bookkeeping for startups and small businesses. What everybody else is doing? Interesting. What's their pricing? I'm really curious. I, I didn't know they were back. I had the tab open. Let's see. Here, I'm opening it right now. Plans and pricing. So they're pricing it based on clients, but it's like 175 bucks a month. Oh, here we go. Additional. Okay. So they have starter, essential, and enterprise. So onboarding fee for starter, 100, 300 for essential, 400 for enterprise. Okay. Let's say I'm essential. I'm in the middle and I've got four to six bank accounts on a cash basis and I need payroll and tax prep. Oh, did you go to just their regular website? Yeah, kpmgspark.com. Oh, that's not the good one. So I have like uh, the, the link that's in the show notes. They actually have a p- page now targeting this at accountants and bookkeepers. So you can put your clients, KPMG will do the book, the, you outsource your bookkeeping division to KPMG. Wait, wait, why? And they're in-house team. Okay. <laughs> why would I, as a CPA, outsource accounting to KPMG? Uh, because you don't want to do it in-house but you want to charge clients for it. And so you either outsource it to them. Maybe you, you're, it's a capacity. Okay. Thing. Maybe yeah, I, I, get it. I get it. It's, it's, it's no, no, I understand keeper, it's right? a bot keeper argument or the whatever argument, right? Like all these other services, but those services aren't the big four. Like KPMG could just market to my clients now. Like they could just steal them. But isn't it, <laughs> but isn't it valuable to have it quality assured by a licensed CPA? Right. And that's what they've got plenty of at KPMG. It says it right there. Yeah. Right. And so, like, why couldn't they just do everything? Why couldn't they just take my clients and do everything? Like, (laughs) that's crazy. Interesting. So, now it's relaunched and it's available to CPA firms as a service to do the bookkeeping. Okay. So, my first instinct was they're leveraging offshore resources that they already use for KPMG. Maybe they've got an India office that they're using for this, but it says that it's in Salt Lake City and it never outsources this bookkeeping to third parties. So maybe they've got like a delivery center that they use for regular KPMG work that they're now basically filling up with more work from KPMG Spark. They can max out the – keep that office always busy. Everybody's getting into this game because I think the demand's there. The market demand is there. We had an episode in the summer. like, And two things, it's a $10 billion opportunity that's not being served. I have to say the pricing on this is kind of scary. Um, like if I were in competition, so like I'm on the direct side and – the middle of the road plan is four to six bank accounts. And if I click on cash and I click on payroll, so I have four to six bank accounts, cash basis, and they're doing payroll for me. It's only $495 a month. That seems really low. If it's accrual, it's $1,095 a month. I wonder what the quality's like. I mean, even if I choose the, the biggest plan, seven to 10 bank accounts, accrual basis accounting with advanced insights, whatever that means, it's only thirteen forty-five per month, one thousand three hundred forty-five dollars. At my last firm, we started at a thousand dollars a month. I, I think some of the pricing we're pricing as well is a market share price. Like people are trying to grab shelf space and market share. Right yeah, now. I, I just wonder, like, yeah, if you actually like sign up, um, if you actually went through a scoping, if it would actually come out to this, or if this is just like super low for the website, like for marketing. And maybe they're trying to experiment into it the way quick by somebody else is, right? Nobody, everybody's prices are uh, changing a lot on this across the board. All right. Um, and, but on a related note, though, 
So, you know, other industries. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of UpCounsel? Is this like Upwork for lawyers? <laughs> Essentially, yes, for freelance lawyers. It's a similar model, right? There's people looking for law uh, services. services, and there's lawyers looking to fulfill those, just like there's bookkeepers looking to get clients and there's clients in the bookkeeping service. It's all the same model. Well, UpCounsel shut down this week. What happened? It didn't really say what happened. They How long have they been around? They've been around for a little while, right? A few years? 2012, they started. So they've been chipping away at this for a while. They've taken um, uh, $26 million total in VC money and they've been chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, but they finally pulled the plug on it. I didn't really give like reasons, reasons why. They were kind of sad that they had to do this. They've really uh, tried to legitimately build a real business here. My impression is they probably ran out of money and nobody's going to give them more money because Clio just took $250 million to basically build the same thing. Right. Right. So Clio is the law firm practice management solution and they're adding in this kind of marketplace. Is that what's happening? Yes. It's the same verbiage that Intuit had in their stuff about QuickBooks Live. It's very similar verbiage. Clio doing that is exactly like Intuit doing QuickBooks Live. It's amazing, the parallels. Well, that's all I got, David. What about you? Some people are uh, on the move here. Yeah? Two are for for sure confirmed. And one is a a listener sent in something that is arguably a speculation. So, um, practice ignition. So, I don't know if you saw Damian Greathead, who is a vice president at Receipt Bank. He, about two weeks ago, said he was leaving Receipt Bank, and now it's been announced that he is now joining Practice Ignition. As their head of marketing. So Congratulations. Um, Damien got to move back home. Uh, he went back down under. So um, I, I, obviously, it probably sounds like a professional move and a personal move, right? As of both. Um, we just talked about Botkeeper. I don't know if you saw uh, Jody Padar. She's now... F- she, I think before she was on the board at Botkeeper or an advisor at Botkeeper, she's now going to take a full-time job as the VP of strategy, it looks like. And then somebody emailed in an article uh, from Slater Sentinel covering really inside sales of stock for Intuit. This person who sent this in noted that Alex Chris, who's the leader at the QuickBooks division at Intuit, he sold, so I'll just read it. EVP James Alexander Chris sold 21,543 shares of the company's stock in a transaction dated Monday, November 25th. The shares were sold at an average price of $258.78 for a total transaction of $5.574 million. Following the completion of the transaction, the executive vice president now owns 126 shares in the company, valued at 32606.28. So he sold basically all of, almost all of his stock. Yeah, so last last November. And so obviously this is three months later. He's still there. But people were wondering, hey, is he going to leave if he sold that much? I want $5 million of Intuit stock. (laughs) That's pretty great. I mean, because insiders insiders sell all the time, right? Because they have to rebalance their personal portfolios. There's lots of reasons why. But to sell, what is that, 98% maybe? I mean, that's a lot, lot, lot to be sold. So somebody... Was wondering, you know, hey, is there the house Chris leaving? Because he's that's a huge, major move. We'll see. Well, that's all the time we've got today, David. If people want to get in touch with you, tell you what they think, send you stories, where should they do that? Uh, easiest ways on Twitter at David Leary, but a lot of people have been doing it on LinkedIn as well. So you can track me down on LinkedIn. And I am at Blake T Oliver. I'm on LinkedIn, and you can email me if you like. Blake at BlakeOliver.com. And if you would like to join our email list and get notified of new episodes with a link to the show notes, go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and put in your email address, hit enter, and you'll get subscribed to our list. 
We'll let you know of new episodes and we'll keep you updated on where we're going because we're going to be going to a bunch of shows this year, right, David? Our conference plans are falling into place. Until next week, signing off. Time for the classifieds. High Rock Accounting is searching for rock stars. We are a growing accounting firm looking to increase our team. Our ideal candidate will be self-motivated, eager to learn, and grow with the firm. We help businesses succeed by utilizing cutting-edge technology to provide accounting solutions that increase business efficiency and competitiveness. Our goal is simple, enhance accounting operations, improve accuracy, and reduce costs. As a High Rock star, you will be responsible for full-cycle accounting in a cloud environment. Email careers at highrock.co. That's careers at highrock.co. One of the biggest hurdles accounting firms face is finding training that is current and relevant. There is an answer. Elephant Training. Elephant offers webinars and training on Xero, QuickBooks, and cloud-based apps and modern practice management issues like remote leadership and creative compensation. Their instructors are firm owners who also happen to be international experts in cloud accounting. This year, Elephant is offering recordings of their most popular webinars, plus valuable resources in their brand new learning library. You can use code CAP20 for 20% off your subscription. Bulk licenses for firms are also available. Visit elephanttraining.com for more info. That's elephanttraining.com. Are you looking for more great cloud accounting content? Ryan Lazanis started and sold his old cloud accounting firm in just five years. Now he helps firms stay on the cutting edge through his free weekly email curating the top five pieces of content that help modernize your firm. Visit futurefirm.co slash cloud accounting to sign up. That is futurefirm.co slash cloud accounting. Accountants and bookkeepers, are you itching to make a career pivot and escape the 9-to-5 grind in the busy season stress and start to build your own career path where you work virtually on your own terms? Then you need to get your copy of the newly released Bookkeeping Side Hustle Guidebook and learn actionable steps to become a virtual bookkeeper without the overwhelm. Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get the ebook for 30% off with the code CAP30OFF. Get your copy at bookkeepingsidehustle.com forward slash bookkeeping dash guidebook. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.